I saw a post on Facebook uh, this week that might describe how you feel after several weeks of talking about prayer. guy I went to high school with said this, Since yesterday was the National Day of Prayer, today must be the National Day of Disappointment. Let me read it again to you. Since yesterday was the National Day of Prayer, today must be the National Day of Disappointment. There's a couple problems with what he said, and uh, I'll get to one just right up front, and, and the other problem with what he said will kind of be the thrust of our sermon today. But but the first problem that I see with it is is this, and it's something we actually talked about last week, but let me just revisit it uh, again this morning. It's this. Christians don't really pray anything that matters anymore. And so most of us who participated in the National Day of Prayer, I just prayed that day, but, but most of us who participated in that, as I said last week, probably just prayed things like, God bless our nation. We have no idea if God said yes or no to us. God bless that guy. Be with the politicians. God's already here and with people. And so most of us who are Christians, we don't sense any type of disappointment because we didn't pray anything that God could answer in a way that we would understand. Am I right? I mean, if you prayed this week and you're sitting here thinking today, could you say God said yes or no to what I asked him to do? A lot of you cannot recognize whether God answers prayer with a yes or no. And so for you, you're less disappointed than the non-Christian because the non-Christian is really probably hoping that the National Day of Prayer works and that great things happen and, and that the world has changed. But we're praying things like, God, just bless our nation. What does that mean? What do you want God to do as we talked about last week? Now, here, here's the other problem. He describes a pretty normal feeling when it comes to prayer, right? Doesn't it go like this in our prayer lives? We hear a sermon about prayer. We read a Bible verse about prayer. We start to think about prayer. We read a book that talks about how we should pray more. And then we get super excited to do it. And we start praying. We spend a lot of time praying. And we think, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to pray more finally. This is my big breakthrough. And then uh, God doesn't say yes right away to what you ask Him for. And after a couple of weeks, you're like, oh, I probably should keep praying. I don't want to keep praying, really, because I don't see anything happening, but I, I, I should keep praying. And then after about a month, you're no longer praying anymore, and it's all done, right? And that's kind of how it goes. You've probably experienced that in your life before, where you get excited about prayer, and then after a time, when you don't see the results that you want, you cease to pray Anymore, and, and we've been talking about prayer for four weeks now on Sunday mornings, and, and we're talking about pretty grand things and, and the way that God responds to our prayers. And maybe you're going, well, I, I have made sure that I don't have any barriers to my prayer life. I listened to your first sermon, and, and I have been praying in a way that recognizes God as my Father and puts His worship first. And I have been praying pretty audaciously, and I've been asking God for these crazy things. And I've really been believing that He's going to do it to the best of my ability. And yet, there's these things that God has hasn't said yes to and I'm kind of waning I don't really want to keep going because it's not working isn't that how it goes sometimes and maybe you're feeling that way as we've gone four weeks now this is the fifth sermon on the topic of prayer and here's the great news for all of us is that Jesus answers this question retroactively in Luke 18 verses 1 through 8 but before I look at that I just want to Kind of up front, just this passage speaks. It's weird because the parable that we're going to read is about a widow. But it oddly speaks to my competitive 
nature. Those of you that know me well know that I'm the most competitive person that you know. Those of you that don't know me well, now you do. I I am far more competitive than you can probably understand. I I came out of the womb that way uh, since I was like two years old, everything was a competition. And I try not to apply it to certain things in life. Uh, like I've never sabotaged another church in the area so that we could do better than them. But in just about everything else, I am driven by competition. I've read books that say it's a good thing, but I'm not always certain uh, about that. And, and so I'm a highly competitive person. And this passage of scripture just just like gets to that part of my being. And I love it for that purpose. And, and the way it does that is because in some ways, Jesus calls into question our toughness. Now, you need to know this about me. Toughness is one of my favorite virtues in people. I think that if a person is tough, then it changes everything about their lives. Now, let me define toughness for you. I think toughness is the willingness and the ability to continue to do what is right and good, no matter how much it hurts or no matter how difficult it is. That's how I would describe toughness to you. Toughness is not a biker gang that beats people up. Toughness is just simply saying, I will do what I should do, even if it is hard and difficult to continue to do it. Being a person who's been in sports my whole life, I have seen both sides of this. I have seen tough people. And I've seen weaklings. And I've competed with both of them. And, and you see it in sports quite clearly, right? I mean, you see a guy who, who breaks his leg and tries to get up and continue to do the things that he knows is going to help his team win. Kobe Bryant, God forgive me for saying something good about him. But Kobe Bryant, he plays for the Lakers. I saw this picture online. It was a split picture, and, and in one it had LeBron James and a picture of him right after he had stubbed his toe or something. And it showed another picture of uh, Dwight Howard after he had uh, like sprained his wrist. And then it showed somebody else with a, an injury, and the expressions on all these guys' faces were like horrible, and they're on the ground, writhing in pain. And then it shows a, a picture of Kobe Bryant after his Achilles had totally, completely ruptured, which means it's in a ball somewhere up here, right? And Kobe Bryant is like this, trying to walk off the court with no expression on his face whatsoever. And it's one of the reasons that Kobe Bryant is a better basketball player than we are because he is far tougher than most people in the world. I wish that the Blazers were more tough. That's a different issue altogether. We should have brought some Blazers today uh, so we could have a conversation. And, And here's the truth. The greatest stories that have ever been told are all stories about the toughness of people. The willingness to continue to do what's good and what's right and what's beneficial to the world or their team or whatever, despite how painful it is, despite how difficult it might be. Let me just give you a a, a couple of examples. Rocky. The story of Rocky. You may have seen one of the 12 that are in existence or whatever it might be. And the story of Rocky is not the story of a great boxer. It's the story of a person that is tougher. Apollo was way bigger and way stronger and more genetically enhanced than Rocky was. But guess who was tougher? The guy from Philadelphia that could take a punch and continue to fight back. Jackie Robinson, he broke the color barrier. Why did he break the color barrier? Because he was a better baseball player than everybody else in the Negro Leagues? Nope. Because he was tough enough not to fight back. It's in the preview to the new movie, right? Because Jackie Robinson could take a punch and take a shot with a baseball and say, I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to do what's right and do what's best for the people of my same race and for baseball as a whole. Captain America, 
He was chosen to be Captain America, not because he was a great soldier or smarter or anything like that, but because he was the guy jumping on the grenade to protect people from dying and not running away from it. He was tougher than the rest of them. Give me another one. Rudy. My favorite of all tough people. Rudy made Notre Dame's football team. Why? Because he was a good football player? No, because he was tough enough to get hit every single day and continue to do it. And here's the thing. Our country, it's funny, because our country is free because of tough people. I mean, you look back when we were being taxed without representation, and guess what? A bunch of tough guys said, no way. You can shoot at us, you can lock us up, you can do whatever you want, but we're not taking it anymore, and we're tougher than you English people, and so therefore, we will win this war. You have the weapons, you have the boats, you have all of it, but we are tougher than you, and we still have our freedom today because there's been tough guys who have fought for your freedom for years and years and years that said, everybody's running away from fights, but I'm going into it because it's the right thing to do, and I'm tough enough to handle it. We marvel when people run towards the spot where a bomb went off or into a building that's been hit by a plane. We think that's great. But here's the problem that I see is our country is becoming so untough it makes me want to vomit. We can't even have winners and losers anymore. They don't keep score in Little League because we don't have tough people. And in this passage of Scripture, that was not my sermon. <sighs> Thank you. I mean, I just look at my generation and it's like, oh, I coughed. I better not go to work today. I mean, right? Like, oh, I stubbed my toe. I can't finish the game, guys. Like, it just drives me nuts. And in this passage of Scripture, what I think Jesus says when it comes to prayers that have been not, not been answered the way that we want, in the time in which we want them, he says, toughen up. So I just want to say up front that I'm afraid that you're not tough enough. Because you're American people living today. If I was giving this sermon a hundred years ago in our country, the American resolve, I mean, people that were willing to walk across the United States with their families and say, I'm, I'm going west. I mean, we don't have that anymore. We have a bunch of people that sit on their computers not doing the right thing because they're not tough enough to do it. We have people that, that don't come to church when they cough once in the morning because they're too tired, whatever it might be. We have people that quit jobs as soon as somebody says something mean to them one time. Well, I'll go find a different job, you know. I mean, we, we don't have toughness anymore. I think it's one of the biggest problems with our prayer lives. And I think we're going to see that in this passage. And so I'm not very hopeful this morning. I've prayed, and, and hopefully that will work. So what I'm asking is that you'll just think about toughness and the greatest stories. And you'll ask yourself this question before I look at this passage of Scripture about a widow, go figure. It's this. Do I want to be a person that lives a great story? Do I want my life to be epic? Or do I just want to kind of get through it and then die and be done with it? If you want it to be epic, because every epic story is this way, then you need to be a person who is tough enough is what Jesus says to us here. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Here's what he says, 18, 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, here, here's the first thing. The word always is very fascinating, right? Jesus is talking here about perseverance in prayer, and so I don't think he means we need to pray every second, but the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 does say it this way. Pray without ceasing. And so what Jesus has in mind is prayer 
that does not stop. Now, it doesn't mean that every second of every day we're on our knees saying, hey, God, I need this, this, and this. But it's about prayer that is continual. It's about praying always, praying consistently, praying constantly. It's about being a person of prayer where people can look at your life and be like, man, that person's life is wrapped up in prayer. It's all about prayer. He does it often. He does it consistently. He does it forever. He does it always. And so Jesus begins by saying, look, this is why I'm saying what I'm about to say. Because I want you to know what it takes to be a person who prays consistently, continually, no matter what. It's way better than last week's passage of Scripture where even Tuesday after I had preached the sermon, I was still wrestling with what the point was and if I said it right. This one, Jesus, just right up front, it tells us that he's telling this parable in order to help us know how to pray always. Now, this last word, and not give up, is a very interesting word because the word literally means to not faint. This is where the first kind of tough picture comes in because girls in bonnets faint. I'm sure a lot of people fainted at the Kentucky Derby yesterday, but it wasn't the jockeys that were on the horses that were going 60 miles an hour or whatever they go, right? And so Jesus looks at us and says, I want to help you know how to pray without fainting, without passing out. I want you to know how to continue to keep going in your prayer life even when it's difficult. This definitely reminds me of Rocky. Anytime you can get Rocky in twice in a sermon, it's great. But let me just tell you kind of the sequence of events in every single Rocky fight. It goes like this. There's a build-up, build-up, build-up. Then the fight starts. And the fight is very equal, right? You've seen it. They're punching each other over and over. Everybody's punching. It's horrible boxing, really, is what it is, because they're just beating each other up. Nobody's got their, their fists up. It's just a big punch fest. And then at some point in the fight, every single time, way deep into the rounds, Rocky starts to get beat up. You've seen the movie, right? One of them anyway. Rocky starts to get beat up, and whoever's fighting him, Mr. T, Apollo, whoever, is just beating Rocky up. His face has become the punching bag. And then Rocky kind of wants to give up. He's up against the ropes. It seems like it's over. And there's always this moment. There's always a moment in every great story like Rocky where what happens is that something inspires Rocky to continue to keep going. Mickey says something. You know the movie. His trainer says something profound that makes Rocky want to keep going. He has a flashback to his days before he was a famous fighter. He sees Adrian in the crowd. Adrian, right? And, and he says, look, I can do this. And then Rocky gets up from the stool or off the ropes, and he just whoops the guy's butt. I mean, that's what happens. And it's this moment of inspiration where Rocky says, I'm not going to pass out. I'm not going to be the first one down because something has happened that has reminded me of the importance and the value of what I need to make happen in this fight. And Jesus says, what I'm about to tell you is the thing that you need to know. It's your moment so that you can get off the ropes when it comes to prayer. Because sometimes when it comes to prayer, we're just like that. We start off strong, and then we slowly fade, and we're up against the ropes, and we're sitting there thinking, I can't do this anymore. It's not working. Things are too difficult. Things are too hard. And what we need is to hear Jesus' words in this passage so that we can get up, and we can fight on, and we can be the people that we need to be for the glory of Jesus. Here's the parable. Luke 18, 2 through 5, he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. 
For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now let me just break this down kind of sentence by sentence. Verse 2, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. That's a weird kind of detail to include in the passage of Scripture, right? I mean, what does it matter if this guy likes people or God? But here's the reason for it. Jesus is setting up a contrast with God. He's saying, look, this is a bad guy. And in heaven, there is a righteous God who created and loves people perfectly so much that he sent his son to come and die for your sins. And so Jesus, just right from the beginning in this parable, wants to create a contrast between this judge who's unrighteous. I mean, he seems like a jerk. I wouldn't hang out with him, right? I mean, he doesn't love God and he doesn't care about what you think at all. It's like, I don't care what those people. And he's a judge. That's weird. And so this guy's a jerk and God is awesome and fantastic. And right from the beginning, Jesus wants to set that up for us. Verse 3, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now the Old Testament makes something very clear for us, and that is this, that God cares deeply about widows. And and here's the other thing that the Old Testament makes very clear. Widows and orphans and foreigners are seen as the most vulnerable people in society. So throughout the Old Testament, you see these rules and these regulations that are there in place in order to make sure that those three groups of people are taken care of. And that continues in the New Testament. We see right at the very beginning of the church, one of the first things we see in in church history is that their, their ministry, part of their ministry, was to make sure that widows in their community, the church community, had the food that they needed to survive. And so the first deacons in a church were deacons in order to make sure that this food was distributed to widows. In the book of James, it tells us that the religion that God desires is to take care of widows and orphans. And so we see throughout Scripture that God cares about this group of people that we call widows and he wants to make sure that they're taken care of now here it's interesting because i've talked about toughness and and it seems like like it's it's just a strange deal i mean jesus seems to be talking about toughness or you're telling me that and and now we see this widow which we don't think of as very tough we think of them as vulnerable and and we think of them as as people that we need to take care of sometimes And, and there's a couple things that i think we need to see first of all it's this Prayer is important because when it comes to prayer, we are the vulnerable. I mean, we think, because we're individualistic in this country or whatever, that we can get through life, that we can pull up our bootstraps and and we can make it happen, right? And Jesus, by using a widow in the midst of this section on prayer, this parable on prayer, says to all of us, his disciples who are a bunch of tough guys, by the way, he says to them, hey, when it comes to life and the things that you need, and when it comes to the glory of God, you're like a widow because you are in desperate need of the help of the God who created. That's pretty profound and important, right? I mean, if we look at ourselves as superheroes, then it makes God not as important in our prayer lives, not as real. But Jesus says when it comes to prayer, you're like a widow. You need something. You can't get by without the power and the help of God in your life. And so I think that's one reason Jesus makes this character a widow and not a soldier. The other thing about it is is this. 
It shows us that the type of toughness that Jesus is talking about in this passage is not reserved for people that are tough in the ways that our world makes tough. It's not reserved for football players. It's not reserved for soldiers. It's not reserved for people uh, that are in in uh, rescue services or anything like that. This toughness is something different. It's something spiritual. It's something inside of people because this widow, one of the most vulnerable in society, is the one who Jesus chooses to illustrate his point. Moves on, Luke 18, 4 and 5. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. It's a weird thing for a guy to say. I think it's because it's a parable. I don't fear God or care what people think. Nobody usually knows that about themselves. So remember, it's a parable. But this is what he says. He says, I'm not going to answer a prayer because I'm a nice guy. I don't really care. I mean, I wish you would go away. But two reasons. Notice this. Jesus is talking about prayer. Two reasons that I will answer this lady's request. That I will grant her the justice that she seeks. One, she keeps bothering me. This woman just persists. She just keeps coming to this judge with the same request, maybe daily, maybe weekly, we don't know, but she just keeps coming. Knocks on his door, says, hey, I want justice. Bring me justice. He says, go away. Next day, hey, I want justice. I need justice. Bring me justice against my adversary. He says, go away. Next day, bring me justice. I am asking for justice. I will be on your door every single day until you bring me justice. And this unrighteous judge eventually just says, look, I don't want to deal with it anymore. So he says, one of the reasons I, I will answer her request and bring her the justice that she desires is because I don't want to deal with her anymore. Now, this other reason is just fascinating so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Some of your translations say weary me out or tire me out, but, but this is a better translation. The word literally means to give somebody a black eye. That's, it's a reference to a mark underneath the eye, and that's what it refers to. This guy is saying, this widow, the way she approaches me is scary. I don't want her to come and punch me in the face. And so I will give her the justice that she desires. That's an interesting thing to say about prayer, is it not? And so we see these two reasons that this unrighteous judge will give justice to this widow. One, because he doesn't want to be bothered anymore because she's so persistent and so consistent with coming to him with the request that she has. And two, because he looks at her and says, I don't want this woman to give me a black eye. Now, here, here, here's the thing. Jesus is teaching about prayer. I mean, you're not going to like what I'm going to say next, but, but think about what Jesus is saying here. When it comes to prayer, you need to approach it in a way that is so consistent that you run the risk of bothering God. And you need to approach it in a way that causes other people, not God, but causes other people to think that guy, if he doesn't get what he wants, might punch God in the face. Jesus said it. You're laughing at Jesus, not me. I mean, right? That is what he is saying through this parable. He's saying prayer, if you want it to be answered, if you want to see results, must be so consistent 
that it would be bothersome to a human being. And it must be so powerful and so profound that if God were a human being, then he might think you're going to punch him in the face and give him a black eye. That is what Jesus is saying to us. Now think about your prayer life. What does it sound like? Normally it sounds like, hey, I'll ask once, I'll ask softly, it won't be too specific because I don't want to think that God says no to my prayers and I probably won't visit it ever again. And I don't think we have the guts, the toughness in our society today and in our churches today to pray like that. I really don't think we do. I mean, I think that, that what we do is we say, well, I'll pray when it feels easy, when I'm excited about it, when it's, it seems simple to do, when I have the time. But Jesus is saying, you want to see your prayers answered? Get up and get on your knees and talk to God like it's actually important and do it every single day, all the time, consistently until he relents. That's what Jesus is saying through this parable. It's pretty obvious and it's pretty clear. And we say, don't we say, well, prayer is just talking to God. Sure, if you don't want your prayers to have a yes answer at the end, that's great. Just go talk to God. But if you want to see God say yes, then pray in a way that would bother a human being and make a human being think that you might come punch him in the face because you're so passionate. And it's so real and so sincere and you want it so bad. If you don't believe the parable, listen to what Jesus says next. Luke 18, 6 through 8. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Oh, this is just ripe with beauty and it's just this is fantastic. Because notice what, what he says here. First of all, He says that this is true of an unjust judge for a woman that he does not know or does not care about. How much more is it true for the God of the universe when it comes to his chosen ones? Chosen ones throughout the the New Testament is a reference to Christian people. And it's an interesting reference because we think it's like God just picked us. Well, God picked all of us. He wants every person to come to salvation. But when we become Christians, that's when we get the name chosen ones. Now think about the people that we call chosen ones. These are people that are pretty special and pretty important, are they not? I mean, people that label themselves as the chosen ones, we don't like them. LeBron James since I'm going with basketball references this morning. I mean, he was calling himself the chosen one from like the time he was born. And I can't stand him for it. As a basketball player, I'm sure as a human being, he's great. But that bothers us. Because when we hear chosen ones, do we not go, wow. When it's self-labeled, that person thinks pretty highly of themselves. They think they're pretty important. They think they're going to do some amazing things. And I don't really see that they have those abilities or those skills. And I don't know about that. You would probably fire me if I called myself the chosen one. Right? Oh, Chad's gone off the deep end. (laughs) It's over. Thinks way too highly of himself. And yet, this is the label that God gives us who give our life to Jesus because Jesus came, died on the cross to save us from our sins. Those of us that accept that gift, God gives us the right to be called his chosen ones. He looks at us and he declares us special and he declares us lovable and he declares us worthy and he declares us awesome and he says, you have a purpose, you have a gift, you have a job to do on this planet. You are now my chosen people. 
And I tell you, if you don't understand what it means to be a chosen one, then you don't understand what it feels like to have self-worth, to really feel valued and loved. And I would encourage you to give your life to Jesus so that you can understand what it means to be a chosen one. And if God has given us that label, here's what Jesus is saying, because we are that to God, how much more will He respond than this unrighteous judge who doesn't care about a widow who he's never even met besides the request that she is making. And then listen, this is what he says, though. He doesn't say just, if you simply come, if you say a little prayer, then how much more for the God of the universe. But this is what he says. His chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Virtually says the same thing as the parable. Cry out is a word that doesn't reference just to say something. It literally is like to cry out. It has theological background. And the theological background is the oppressed people of God saying, God, we cry out to you because we need you to save us from the oppression that we are under, the Roman rule or or whatever it might be. We need you to come and get us and to take us back to our land and to save your people, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And this is the theological background for this term. It's not this like, hey, God, please do this. It's like, God, without you, we can do nothing. We need you. It's praying in a way that if people heard you from the outside, they would look and say, is he going to threaten to beat God up? That's the type of fortitude it is. Now, I'm not saying that every one of us will be loud in our prayers. I'm not saying that at all. I think Jesus is talking about the attitude. He has created each of us differently, personality-wise. I get that even in this context. And we all have these different personalities and we experience God in different ways, right? So I'm not saying every person needs to be me. I mean, I always hear, whoa, you have a great passion. Well, I'm just loud. You know, I mean, that's what, I'm not more passionate than other people in our congregation. I'm just louder than they are. And, and that's the truth. That's who I am. And so for me, I think this means crying out. Because if I'm serious about something, then I'm going to express it pretty loud. But others of you, it might just be quiet and sincere. But it still needs to be in a way that has fortitude. It has purpose and it's real. And you're asking for things that you care about. And you're showing God, I care about this. I want this. Make this thing happen. And then Jesus says day and night, which is a reference to consistency, right? I mean, how many of you have actually prayed in the morning and at night before? I mean, think about that. I don't even know if we actually do it just one time in our lives. But Jesus is saying you need to pray consistently about these things, and then God will respond. It's fascinating, and it puts a lot more pressure on us. I'm having these conversations as I go through this series. Well, it seems like... Jesus is saying that, that it matters what we do in prayer. Like God's not just going to make up his mind. And, and honestly, that's what it seems like to me too. I mean, I know it doesn't fit perfectly in a box and we want to go, well, God is sovereign and he knows what's going to happen. Well, I believe all that. But at the same time, just listen to the teachings of Jesus who is saying, if you can just take the last three weeks together, if we pray and we believe that those things will happen, And if we pray with shameless audacity, saying, God, this is what I need. And if we pray with consistency and intensity, then our prayers will be answered with a yes more often. Now, here's what I ask. Do we have the toughness to do that? I just want to talk to our men for a second in this congregation. Women are out praying us like crazy. I mean, you think about 
the stats about women and their presence in church and how often they pray and how often they spend in the Word. And it's quite sickening given what Jesus says here because the Bible does tell us men are tougher. It says women are the weaker vessels. Women, you have other gifts that you do far better than me. But we as men, if I'm going to say this to us, we're supposed to be the tougher ones. And here Jesus is saying it takes toughness to see results in prayer. And it is sickening that we are letting the women outpray us. I mean, it is sickening that we don't have the guts to continue to do what's right, even when we don't see the results we want. How long are we going to sit around and say, hey, you guys take care of the prayer stuff, we'll take care of the building stuff and getting stuff done and all that, when Jesus is looking at 12 very manly men who are far tougher than me and saying, look, if you want to pray and see results, then never give up, never faint, never quit. That is what Jesus is saying here. And so you men, me included, I'm with you. We need to say, hey, it's time for us to stop being weenies and start toughening up and doing what God has called us to do and be the people that God has created us to be. And a big part of that toughness is saying, I will pray until God relents and does what we need Him to do for our families and for our churches and for our country and for our world. we got to stop being so untough that we, we can't even get out of bed early enough in the morning to say our prayers, and then at the end of the night, we're too tired then too. That can't happen. I mean, the world is depending on us in our prayer lives. It is depending on us approaching God every single day and saying, God, we need this. I'm here, and I will be here tomorrow. And so you bring it. Ah, oh, man. Men, we need to step up and do our jobs. Women should not be out praying us, given what this passage says. We should be encouraging the women in our lives, in our congregation, our spouses, our children. We should be encouraging them to pray because we're tough enough to get up every day and do it over and over and over and over again. And we're tough enough to say, hey, come along for that ride because you should be praying too. That's what Jesus is telling us. Listen to the question he ends with. And this is a question that hasn't been answered in my mind. And I think we have the ability to answer it. But it's not going to be by our words this morning. It's going to be by our actions. Luke 18.8 However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus says this, Are my people tough enough to continue to keep doing this for thousands of years after I leave? I mean, are they tough enough to keep going and going and going until the time in which I come back? I look at our country. can't speak to the other countries of our world. And I'm afraid if Jesus came back, he would find far too few of people that have that type of faith. Faith and toughness go hand in hand, right? That have that type of faith and are continuing to press on in the prayer lives even when they don't get the answers they want. And I'm afraid, I really am, that another 50 years, if Jesus came back just to our country, he'd look and go, I guess I got my answer. It was no. I didn't find that kind of faith. I didn't find that kind of fortitude. I didn't find that kind of toughness. They quit. They gave up. 
They didn't have the faith it took to continue to press on and be tough, even when they didn't see the answers they wanted. I think until we can look around, look in ourselves, and say, hey, Jesus, the answer is yes, because I'm here, and I have the faith and the toughness to keep going, we are not going to see our prayers answered in the way that we want to see them answered. Until we can look around in our church and see a bunch of other people that we know have the faith, the toughness, the fortitude to continue to, move, to press on and to pray in a way that others might say he's going to give God a black eye. Until we see that in our congregation, we're not going to be the church that God wants us to be. We're not going to do the things that we so desperately want to do for the glory of our God. Until our churches can look around at the other churches and see other churches where this type of faith is still present and people have what it takes to continue to press on in prayer, then we are not going to see our nation be what we want our nation to be. It starts with us saying, I'm going to do this day and night. I'm going to do it in a way that is meaningful, powerful, real. If we'll follow this, we'll change the world. Because right now, Jesus is looking down He's angry about how we do t-ball. And he's angry about how we do our prayer lives. Because it's just not tough enough. It's not. We're a bunch of quitters. We're just a bunch of quitters who give up. We fall down once. We don't see the answer we want once. Ah, didn't work. No great story has ever been told like that. And I hope the story of your life is epic because you choose to toughen up and pray in a way that produces results. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm sorry for how often I give up, God, and you know I think myself pretty tough, God. There's not much that will make me quit. I thank you for ingraining that in me at a young age, Lord, but yet when it comes to prayer, I don't toughen up, and and, and until I studied this passage, I didn't even think about it this way, God. Prayer always feels just doesn't seem to be in that tough sense, Jesus. And I'm sorry for for not taking that more seriously, for knowing that, for for taking time to read what you had to say about prayer before this, Lord, in a, in a meaningful way. And Lord, I pray we would be a church full of tough people when it comes to prayer, Lord, and. I specifically just pray for our our men, me included, God, that we would be more like Rocky, God. And when we're up against the ropes, we would pray harder. We would be drawn back to what you've said to us, God. And and we we would, Lord, we'd never give up. Let us never give up, Lord. And we know that you never give up on us, and so let us cling right back to you, God. Lord, our our nation needs us to be tough. Our nation needs us to pray and believe, pray specific things, and it needs us to pray consistently, God, and it needs us to pray passionately, and I pray we would return to that, Lord. Lord, when you come back, I pray that in this church you would find that kind of faith. I pray that in our country you would find that kind of faith. Lord, it has to start in our hearts, and I I pray that it would, and I pray it would start in my heart. 
God, let us, pr- let us pray through pain. Let us pray through adversity. Let us pray through difficulty. Let us pray until we get victory, Lord. Love you, Jesus, and I thank you that you came for us. And Lord, I thank you that you were tough. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Of toughness is that of Jesus, and we all would have quit. I mean, as he came to this earth to die on a cross, and it got painful, he prayed. I mean, he didn't, he didn't feel like going to a cross, but he chose to. And it's the greatest story of toughness. It's the most epic story of continuing to do what was right, despite how difficult it was. And here's the honest truth. When our prayers are answered with a no, and when life is hard and it just seems like our prayers don't matter to God, the thing, the very thing that we can cling to to continue to make it go, to continue to be people who wake up day and night, pray, 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 and pray with passion, is the fact that we know God always has our best in mind. And he proved that to us by dying on a cross to save us from our sin. And so we don't have to question, hey, God's saying no. Does he really care? Does he really love me? Yes, he really cares and he really loves you. He showed it by coming to this earth to die for our sins. And so this morning, with this topic in mind, our prayer lives, uh, we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask you to come forward. Uh, right after I stop talking. And, and I, as you take it this morning, I pray that you would remember that Jesus' toughness allowed for us to be tough and to continue on, knowing that no matter how bad life gets, He always has our best interest in mind. And eventually, everything good will happen for those who give their lives to Jesus because we will be with Him in eternity. Will you come forward and grab communion as, as this song plays? And when you get back to your seats, uh, just hold the communion, reflect on that sacrifice as this song finishes, and I'll come back up after the song.